0: Praise the Lord Jehovah, He alone is high. There is no other, I am He, and there is no other. We began this service with 1 Timothy chapter 3, when the Apostle Paul wrote Timothy and told him that while he wanted to see him face to face, if he wasn't able to pull that visit off, he wanted Timothy by the first epistle to know how he ought to behave himself in the house of God. Isn't it wonderful to have a behavioral manual for the New Testament church? Amen. For ministers. They don't need some seminary manual. They need 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, because in those wonderful epistles, which are called pastoral epistles, there is instruction on how to behave thyself in the house of God. Let's open our Bibles again to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. You just sang about the Lord Jehovah. The Lord Jehovah wants you to be His witness. He wants you individually to be witnesses for Him. The Russellites who claim the name Jehovah's Witnesses are not worthy of the name. They have made more false prophecies in the name of their Jehovah that have not come to pass than any other Christian sect that claims to be Christian. And furthermore, they deny that Jehovah came in the flesh. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, the Lord Jesus Christ said, as He gave a warning to His generation of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple, He said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. The common error today is that until the gospel... Is carried by radio waves, track videos, or whatever means, to the four corners of the earth. Jesus can't come back the second time. That's how this verse is interpretate interpreted. That until the gospel is preached in every nation to the whole world in every dialect, Jesus can't come back. Two errors among many. Two errors are they misunderstand the end. That is in verse 14. Then shall the end come. The end is the end of the Jewish nation, the Jewish city of Jerusalem, and the Jewish temple. The second thing they miss by not knowing the Scriptures is that the Gospel was preached in that generation to all nations. It is stated over and over and over. If you go to Mark chapter 9, Go ye and preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It goes on to say, and so they went everywhere and preached everywhere, signs following. It's it's all there in Mark chapter 16. I said 9, I meant 16, beginning at verse 9, all the way to verse 20, are not found in their best manuscripts, because Vaticanus and Sinaiticus only have 8 verses in Mark chapter 16, not verses 9 through 20, which tell us the fulfillment of that commission. If you go to the book of Acts, the enemies of the gospel said they've turned the world upside down. If you go to Colossians, the gospel was preached to every creature and to every nation under heaven while Paul was still alive. They missed two things they don't understand. But we don't use this verse for that for this series. We use the verse for this reason. This gospel shall be preached, this gospel, the kingdom, shall be preached in all the world for a witness. God has declared a witness of what He's going to do. In this case, it was the destruction of Jerusalem. We want to be His witnesses by believing the record He gave and then the fulfillment of those prophecies. We want to be Jehovah's witnesses that way. I have not heard it, but I read the transcribed notes from my brother Newell of Eric's effort on Wednesday night to review with you how many times Cyrus is mentioned in the Bible. And isn't it a shame that I could go to Sunday school for many years, and I could go to church for many years, and I could go to the world's most unusual university and never hear about Cyrus when ten of the greatest chapters in the book of Isaiah are about him? It's a shame. See, the truth is departing from the earth. And we're supposed to be the pillar and ground of the truth. Do you know what the truth is for the chapters 41 through 48 in Isaiah? The primary character in there, referenced by a single male pronoun, is Cyrus. And we want to defend that and uphold that. We want to earnestly contend for that in these late days. Thank you, Eric, for those reminders to them. It is an exciting subject. And it's exciting to see God using him and God calling him my servant and my shepherd and he's going to take care of my flock. The more you understand and consider the fulfillment of his past prophecies, the more confidence you're going to have in him taking care of your kidney stones. Because if the God of heaven can take care of nations and raise them up against each other, he can take care of our little maladies. He's going to take care of you. Mary, he's going to take care of you. He took care of the affairs of empires. Can you imagine an empire splitting and the strongest part being north of you and the second strongest part being south of you and the two of them fighting for 150 years and you have to live between the two of them? That's Daniel 10 11 and 12. The Ptolemaic and Seleucid wars of the king of the north against the king of the south. Did God take care of his people? Yeah, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was Antiochus IV of the Seleucid Kingdom, he got a little carried away with himself and thought he could go in and profane the temple of the Most High God. He raised himself up even against the host of heaven. But he had a terrible fall. Right. And whenever you hear the word Hanukkah, whenever you hear the word Hanukkah, I want you to know that that's the Feast of Lights of Jews who are remembering the Maccabees coming in and purifying the temple in Jerusalem from Antiochus IV's profanations that lasted for 2300 days. They're described in Daniel chapter 8. And the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 12 honored that national holiday of the Jews by visiting Jerusalem during that holiday. If God's able to do that, He's able to take care of you with the A choice between two doctors. It's easier than the Seleucids against the Ptolemies. It's still big and it's still important to you and it's important to us. all, All that was said, the more you understand and consider the fulfillment of his past prophecies, the more faith and confidence you're going to have in him taking care of you in this world and in the world to come. If he took care of... Was it comforting for an angel named Gabriel to come to Daniel and say, I was held up by the prince of Persia, but I'm come now to give you understanding. And I was helped because Michael, the great prince, came to help me. Is that comforting to know that there's a whole bunch of things going on that are outside of your sight? Did you know that there's battle weapons rattling around you right now, but you can't hear them and you can't see them? Do you know that there's shining armor and swords Do you know that the angel of the Lord is sent by God to protect you? Do you know that He camps around you and delivers you if you fear Him and delight in Him? Do you believe all those things? If you believe those things, you know He can take care of you here and there. In this world and in the world to come. That's why one one of the reasons why we cover fulfilled prophecy. Did you get the two big reasons so far? Number one, we're supposed to be the pillar and ground of it. Number two, we want to be witnesses For the Lord Jehovah, number three, we want to have faith that He can take care of us in our little matters because we see Him moving nations to accomplish His purposes. The Lord loves to boast about it. Because Eric spent time on it Wednesday evening, I don't want to spend very much time. And I've already told you how much I would like to cover with you. But let's just go to which one? Isaiah 41 Let's, let's start at the very beginning of this passage. Now, you may have thought that Crosby's commentary on the Bible that you read in a church update this week was a little harsh. But you need to read the Bible and have the God of heaven describing his children as sottish children and him describing the wicked belching instead of talking. And you need to be, go review a couple sermon outlines on rude preaching and instant preaching that are on our website. All you need to do is look at a cemetery and realize how serious the God of heaven is. And you need to read this, how he mocks idolaters and their false religion and anyone that worships that way. He says they've got eyes, but you know all this. But they can't see ears, but they can't hear. Noses can't smell mouths, but they can't speak. They have feet, but they've got to be carried about. They're nothing. And so is everyone that worships them is how the Lord speaks about them. And so I gave you a little commentary on the first verse because do you know how to read these chapters and see the Lord God of heaven, the Lord Jehovah, boasting of His great power and omniscience. I'll read to you down through verse 9. Isaiah 41. Keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near. Then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Who raised up the righteous man from the east, called him to his foot, gave the nations before him, and made him rule over kings? He gave them as the dust to his sword and as driven stubble to his bow. He pursued them and passed safely, even by the way that he had not gone with his feet. Who hath wrought and done it? calling the generations from the beginning, I the Lord, the first and with the last, I am He. Amen. The isles saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid, drew near and came. They helped every one his neighbor. And every one said to his brother, Be of good courage. Till so the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith. And he that smootheth with the hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. And he fastened it with nails, that it should not be moved. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. For the first seven verses, God's mocking the isles of the nations. He's mocking the Gentiles. He's mocking idolaters. And then verses 8 and 9, he's telling Israel, But you are my friends. You are my servants. I am your God. I've chosen you. You came from my friend Abraham. The great God that ridicules the nations of the earth, mightier and stronger than Israel, addresses them as his friend and as his servant. And that he has chosen them and picked them. My little commentary to you on the first verse. Shut up, you idolatrous Gentiles. Stop your foolish hallucinating about your idols. Get yourselves together and put together your best arguments and come to me. Come here. Bring your best stuff. Ever seen? We know exactly what he's trying to tell us. If you've ever been around men... When they want to fight, when they want to prove them, come here. Show me your best stuff. Give me your best stuff. That's the Lord God of heaven to the nations of the earth and their religions. Show me Allah and his great prophet Muhammad. Get your best arguments together. Let the people renew their strength. Stop daydreaming and hallucinating and actually get to work and put together something strong and potent. Let them come near. Let them speak. I'll give them an opportunity to speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Let's have an honest and fair assessment of whether your gods are gods at all and whether I am a god. Then he mocks them down through here. When they saw Cyrus coming, listen, nobody, nobody thought that the Babylonian Empire would ever be overthrown. Right. But look at who called a man from the east. The righteous man. That doesn't mean Cyrus was altogether righteous. It just means he did some righteous things on behalf of God for the people of Israel. And God brought him, set him up, Helped him. He pursued and passed through safely. He went into territory he'd never been in before, but the Lord kept him safe. The isle it and feared, verse 5. The ends of the earth were afraid. They couldn't believe. The heavens and the earth were being shaken. If you go read Isaiah 13, this event is described as the day of the Lord and the sun being chased out of its ordinary path and the moon being chased away and the inhabitants of the earth in fear. And so the Lord mocks them by saying, when they get, when they get afraid, what do they do? When the world gets afraid, what does it do? They helped everyone as neighbor. When we had the Twin Towers fall, what were some of the cries made about this nation? United we stand. The great American spirit. Be of good courage. So the carpenter gets involved and the goldsmith is there. And the man with the hammer and the man with the anvil and they all work it up for the man that's gonna do the soldering. And he fastened it with nails that it should not be moved and they had their God. But, one of the, one of the inspired disjunctives in the Bible, but thou Israel art my servant. We have a relationship of God and his people. And I chose you to it. Abraham was my friend. He's the father of you all. And so we have Isaiah 41. Do you love Isaiah 41 through 48? Amen. You know, there's guys that sit around and quote statistics about cars. You know, I once used to talk about 455 cubic inches attached to a four-speed hearse transmission with a 433 rear end that had 390 brake horsepower, a fully functional Ram Air hood, As a 16 year old idiot with my GTO. On my wall were pasted pictures of the first trans AMs. A step up from the Pontiac GTO. Then there are guys that sit around and can tell you what Michael Jordan eats for lunch. The rest of the NBA. They can quote his statistics. They can tell you what year that Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs. They can't remember when Roger Maris hit 61 because nobody wants to remember poor Roger Maris. But they'll sit around and remember those things and they'll get all worked up and they get so excited. What do you, what about this? I'm I'm, serious. Listen, I have as much of a flesh as anyone sitting in here. I have a decent memory to remember that junk. But look at this. I mean, our God is just flat out boasting about His power and His omniscience and daring any other religion to come up with a competing God for Him. He would love to have a fight. But there can't be one because there is no other. I can't find another. I am He. And there is no other. I am the first and I am with the last. Do you love the Lord God Jehovah? This is the God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible has blessed the people that feared Him all the days of their lives. We do not believe that Allah is another name for Jehovah. We do not believe that Vishnu, Rama, or any other Hindu name is a name for the Lord Jehovah. We do not believe that the great spirit of the American Indians is another name for the Lord Jehovah. The Lord Jehovah limited His worshipers for thousands of years to the people of Israel. And He's revealed them Himself now through the gospel of the Bible. This gospel of the kingdom. The Son of Jehovah reigning over the nations of the earth. The Lord Jehovah has filled the Bible with prophecies. There isn't a prophecy in the Quran. If you can go Google me up a prophecy in the Quran, bring it to me because I've read the documentation that there are no prophecies in the Quran. Why does he call himself a prophet? If you're a prophet, make a prophecy. Right. There's a reason for that. We, we, we need prophecies because, uh, you know, once you commit yourself to something going to happen in the future, it better happen because if just one time it doesn't happen, you are not a prophet of God. That's the rule. That's a hard standard. Not for our Lord. Not for our Lord at all. Look at some of these. Where do we, look at Exodus 17. Forgive my moaning and groaning. It's part of preaching when the outline is longer than the clock. Exodus chapter 17. When you read your Bible and you read some things about the Amalekites that seem a little hard, I want you to remember a prophecy. This is just one more example of many. Do you know how many prophecies there are in the Old Testament about the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know who were the keepers of the Old Testament? The Jews. Were they friends of the Lord Jesus Christ? No, they were not. Did they keep intact prophecies about him? What was his mother going to be like? A virgin. What would he be called? Whose government would be upon his shoulder? How would he die? How much would be paid for him at the end? Can you imagine Paul's wonderful job of traveling across the Mediterranean Sea and going into Antioch of Pisidia and sitting down and watching them read the Old Testament Scriptures? Just read them because they didn't know how to give a sense to them. And then at the end they said, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And Paul saying, Let me tell you where that prophecy was fulfilled. I have seen him with my own eyes. Risen from the dead. And he is seated at God's right hand. Let me tell you about a martyr named Stephen that died and saw him standing at his right hand to welcome him into heaven from the stones of your brethren in Jerusalem. Ah, yes. Here's another prophecy. It's not about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about Amalek. Look, Listen, our God is serious about sin and messing with his people. If you fear him and trust him and love him and delight in him and someone messes with you, take comfort right here as an example. Exodus seventeen fourteen, And the Lord Jehovah said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. I know I'm hard and I'm harsh and I'm loud and I'm crude. But this is the God that I'm an ambassador for and I know no other. And I don't want to be an ambassador for any other God. This is the same God that told his people, Israel, underneath are the everlasting arms. I like that combination. I like a combination of a God that when I have an enemy, I can put my trust in him because he will swear to have war with my enemies from generation to generation. And yet when I run to him, He'll forgive a Manasseh and a Mary and sins worse than theirs. You say, what does that have to do with fulfilled? That's one of the lessons. If you see prophecies like this, take comfort in their personal application to you. You say, God isn't big enough to take care of all of us individually. We're going to have to start over with you. See me afterwards. I don't know where to start with you. He is big enough Amen. to take care of each of us individually. There's so many others that I'm going to skip over. Only an omnipotent God that can bring things to pass that He has purposed and declared can be like our God. And so He mentions creation in a number of places. Look at Isaiah 42. He ties creation and prophesying into Comparable descriptions of him. He he likes to tie them together because it takes as much power to create the heavens and the earth to declare something that's going to affect the affairs of nations in advance and bring it to pass. So he ties them together. I just want you to see him bragging. Isaiah 42 and verse 5, Thus saith the God of heaven. 42 and 5, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, He that giveth bread unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. Now that's a lot of creative and providential works of God right there in that fifth verse. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness, out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images." Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. I believe this particular passage is the Lord Jesus Christ, although Cyrus fulfilled parts of it in type and shadow. But that is not the point right now. The point is, look at how God ties together creation and details of that creation with declaring things that are not yet done. Because they both take divine power. And so he brags about it because there is no God like Him. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Oh, Isaiah had so much to tell. Israel and Judah. The Assyrians were the preeminent power then. Isaiah died before Babylon became great and took Judah captive. But the Lord took care of them. He took care of the Assyrian. Look at Isaiah 14.24. The Lord of hosts hath sworn... Saying, surely as I have fought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Does the Bible tell us that he has good thoughts toward us? Does the Bible actually say that? That I have good thoughts toward you? The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, surely as I have fought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed so shall it stand. What is this particular prophecy? That I will break the Assyrian in my land. Did he break the Assyrian in his land? 185,000 of them camped where they shouldn't have been. And upon my mountains tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart from off them, and his burden depart from off their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? Do you like those words? Do you like to look at them, read them, and think about them? Are you actually worried? About the son of a goat herder that is the president of our country? I didn't say anything derogatorily about him yet. Are you afraid of a Muslim in our highest office? No. There's a God in heaven and he's in charge of the affairs of this nation. Are you worried about our Congress? You know, what you read about them? Are you worried about our Supreme Court? Now that it's further been diluted? Are you worried? These verses tell me I don't need to worry. That it's his thoughts and his purposes that are going to come to pass upon the whole earth in far bigger pictures than the United States composes. You worried about the Chinese whenever the media wants to tell you that their military is getting stronger? listen until the last 3 years taiwan could have whipped mainland china it was understood and fully accepted that taiwan could whip mainland china have you ever seen the two compared in a map yeah but they got 1.6 billion people i know it's just a whole lot more collateral damage right forget it let's not get, what are you worried about are you worried about our budget deficit it's enough to overwhelm the mind And they don't even tell you most of it. And what they do tell you, you you calculate it out to your children. You say, how they are going to pay it? The Lord will take care of us. He's able to prepare a table in the wilderness. These prophecies are to help you understand that the Lord is going to take care of us in all these different ways. Look at Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18. Do any of you remember, it's been a long time, several months, when I preached to you About the cult cheat sheet? A cult cheat sheet. Do you have one up here? When some denomination or some religion comes out and says they have a prophet, if they ever have one prophecy not come to pass, does the Lord have a thing to say about them? So, if you run into any cult, religion, denomination, and it may dwarf Baptists, one prophecy doesn't come to pass. Here's what God has to say. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 20. The prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name. Which I have not commanded him to speak. Or that shall speak in the name of other gods. Even that prophet shall die. I'm, and if thou say in thine heart. How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. Who has been in the last 136 years the one that has said the most in the name of Jehovah? Charles Taze Russell and Judge Rutherford have had more prophecies about the end of the world and the second coming of Jesus Christ than anyone else claiming even to be a quasi-Christian. And they do it in the name of Jehovah because they claim to be Jehovah's Witnesses. You can go Google this and there are precious brethren that have been saved out of that cult that have listed all the prophecies that didn't come to pass. Year by year by year by year. And they're linked up in some of our documents on the website. But there's there it is right there. You say, I once heard that Jean Dixon foretold the assassination of John F. Kennedy in Dallas. That she saw a dark cloud over Dallas. And my my first question to you is, was that vision about the dark cloud over Dallas... Was that before or after she was lying in bed on Sunday morning naked and the sun from the east was shining through her window and a snake slithered up through that window and across the room and embraced her? Where was that, where was that vision of Jean? Was that before or after you want to put some stock in Jean Dixon and her prophecy? Do you know how many prophecies that she's made that never came to pass? What if one doesn't come to pass? Is she a prophet of the Lord Jehovah or is she a liar that the prince of Grecia, the prince of Persia, or the prince of the United States has given her little tiny bit of insight that God allowed? Just like Pharaoh had magicians in his court. Do you know their names? Janice and Jambres. We have a prophet. We have an apostle. We have a high priest. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Did Jack Van Impey expose himself as a fraud one of a million times by his ridiculous unfulfilled prophecy of America's end on the 4th of July in 1976? And I was only going to be 19 at that one. Remember, I had heard an earlier one that was going to happen in '64, and I was only going to be Seven, and I didn't think my dad was gonna let me own too many guns or drive when I was seven, so I was worried about the communists coming. The communists, who are they? Help me. Who are the communists? The biggest communists in our country are the ones you elected. Amen. I mean just by the just by their ideology. Right. But where, where's this big Russia? You know they did you know that they had to shut down their stock exchange and everybody had to go home from work? Because it hit 95 degrees Fahrenheit in Moscow? Yep. Did anybody read that? Does, does anybody yep. know a few things that, you know, do we shut down when it hits 95? Oh, we, we're thankful for a 95 degree day. This is in the last couple of weeks. Why can't they export any wheat? Because there's such a drought in that country right now, they can't feed themselves. Where are the communists? Is your trust in the Lord Jehovah? He's going to take care of us. Jack Van Eppie said the communists were going to take over the United States on the 4th of July in Philadelphia at the Liberty Bell in 1976 at our bicentennial. So many Bible fundamentalists, blinded by Jewish fables and a false interpretation of Matthew 24, 34, said that Jesus would come within 40 years of the setting up of a nation of Israel in 1948. But as I told you two weeks ago, 1988 came and nothing happened. Others have read 2 Peter 3.8. It says a day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Since the seventh day of the week was the day of rest, and 6,000 years have transpired, we are at the coming of Jesus Christ. It's Y2K. What happened at Y2K other than we all sat up and watched international television show us time zone by time zone that absolutely nothing happened anywhere. There's only one being that can foretell the implosion and the burning up and the hot heat of this planet, and it's the Lord Jehovah, and it's in his timing and no one else's. All these prophecies, nothing comes to pass. It discourages Christians. It discredits Christians and those who want to write books and take stands on these ridiculous ideas. The Lord's going to take care of us. In the 60s, it looked like this country was coming to an end. We're in 2010, 50 years later. Right. Do you know what it was like in the 60s? They were rioting in our streets. We had the hippies, the White Panthers, the Black Panthers, the SDS, and all sorts of organizations trying to take over our youth. Do you remember it? Yep. President Johnson took the silver out of our coins. It's 1964. President Nixon said that we would no longer pay foreign nations in gold in 1971. Did we survive? Oh, the biggest bull market in the history of the United States of America. Why? Because God is still being merciful to this nation for the small remnant that is within it that fear his name. If this church will humble themselves and repent and pray and beg God for mercy, he can preserve us and our children in in the middle of this Babylon. I've watched it happen. I grew up during those times where we sat outside Detroit and watched televisions wondering how far was this riot going to spread. God sometimes gives prophecies just to help people out to know the future. Did God help Pharaoh out a little bit with seven well-favored kine and seven right. lean kine? Did he help? Yes, he did. Could Nebuchadnezzar have been helped? Did Daniel give him a prophecy and tell him, if you'll break off your sins by righteousness and show mercy to the poor, there can be a lengthening of your tranquility? Could it have helped? Sometimes God gives prophecies to help. Did he give a prophecy to Israel to push them toward repentance? John stated it. Jesus stated it. The other apostles stated it on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, you know the part of the sermon that is recorded in Acts chapter 2. But the last verse of Luke's narrative about the sermon is verse 40, where it says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, this is Peter on Pentecost, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. He had just described their untoward crime, their perverse crime of crucifying the Lord of glory. You with wicked hands have crucified the just one. With many other words he testified and said, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Church history, because 70 A.D. occurred outside the New Testament, says that all the believers left the city of Jerusalem and were saved. Just like Jesus had told them, When you see the armies encompassing Jerusalem, get out. And I'll cut the days short so that the elect can be saved. Because if the, if the days were not cut short, not even the elect would be saved. Can, you know how hard people have trouble with that when they're st- trying to turn it into salvation? I mean eternal life? They really get mixed up. It's like the 13th verse. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Do you know that almost all Calvinists use that verse to teach the perseverance of the saints? He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Matthew twenty four thirteen. Do you know what it's like reading a commentary by a man who would write that explanation for that verse? That that's how you get to heaven? And that the elect will all persevere to the end so they can be saved eternally? He's telling his followers that if you'll endure, endure some hardship and endure some betrayals and endure some family members turning against you and endure some false christ and endure some earthquakes and some famines and some wars and rumors of wars, it was going to be an ugly 40-year period leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. same that endureth to the end shall be saved. It's called the days of redemption in Luke's epistle, referring to the church being saved of the destruction of Israel. Look at John 13. John 13. The, these verses, I want you to remember. Why does God give prophecy? This is one of the reasons, and this is a big reason. He wants us to know that He is God and put our trust in Him, that there is no other. And I've shown you this before, but I want to show you it in two of its fraternal twins. John 13, 19, Now I tell you, before it come, that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am He. This is the definition of God's reason for telling things in advance. This is about Judas Iscariot. He said the prophecies in verse 18. But look at verse 19. I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. God told us so many wonderful things in Isaiah 40 about Cyrus, Babylon, Persia, Medes, little, you know, the he-goat, the ram, all those things. But if we don't learn their fulfillment, we can't even have the benefit. We've got to learn them to have the benefit. Look at John 14. John 14, 29. Fourteen twenty nine. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Same thing as John thirteen, nineteen. I've told you before it comes that when it is come to pass, you'll believe. How about chapter fifteen, John fifteen, or sixteen? John sixteen, verse four. These things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. John sixteen 4. I've told you that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. As we view things, some of which are prophesied in the Bible, we should remember he, he foretold that 2,000 years ago. Did Israel get all the land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Amen. They got all the land because, as Nehemiah said, God is righteous. Nehemiah chapter 9. Remember, I told you it's my favorite passage about the land. Do most people think that God still owes the land to the Israelites, to the Jews? Is that why the Americans are so favorable toward that little rebellious nation over there in the Middle East? Yes. And because of John Hagee and others who are preaching heresy. God fulfilled all of his prophecies about the land. Do you know where to go to prove that? We learned about Alexander the Great from several chapters of Daniel and from Ezekiel. Does the Bible tell us about the origin of the popes of Rome? Does the seventh chapter of Daniel describe the fourth dragon beast? In the latter days of its kingdom, it would break into ten horns. The Greek Empire, when it was falling apart, broke into four horns, four sections. The Roman Empire fell apart in 476 A.D. and broke into the ten nations of Europe. Out of one of those places in Europe would come a little horn. They would open his mouth and lift up his eyes against the Most High and make war against the saints of God for 1,260 years. Do you know that's in the Bible? Have we watched its fulfillment? Do you read about the inquisitions of the church of Rome during the dark ages? We know that from the Bible. Are we able to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and read that he that letteth will let until he be taken out of the way? Meaning that that is in place that is restricting the rise of that little horn of the Roman Empire will be taken out of the way? Do we know that Caesar was taken out of the way? Do we know that the capital of the Roman Empire was moved from Rome to the other end of the Mediterranean to the city of Constantinople, named after Constantine? Surely we can figure all this out, which left a power vacuum in Rome so that the bishop of the Church of Rome became the head of the Western Empire. We know these things. Do you know them? Do you know about Babylon and the chapters of the Bible about them? Do you know that the book of Nahum is written about the overthrow of Nineveh? Do you know that the book of Obadiah is written about the same in Edom? Do you know that the Bible speaks of Egypt, Tyre, and other places, and God's destruction of them? Do you know that the Bible says that a doctrine would arise? It's the doctrine of devils that men would prohibit the eating of meat and of marriage. Are you able to look at that and say and comfort yourself? The Bible forecasts that. God told us that was going to happen. The church of Rome and its vows of celibacy and its Lent. Does the Bible tell us about a carnal brand of Christianity that would arise, that would have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof? Would they be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God? Does sometimes that prophecy apply to us? Do we see that prophecy being fulfilled all around us? Does it say men will turn away their ears from the hearing of the truth and be turned into fables because they will no longer endure sound doctrine? Right. Does it say that men will creep into houses and lead captive silly women? Yep. Are there radio preachers and television charlatans that do that? Yep. Second Timothy chapter 3 and 4. Does Paul warn Timothy against science falsely so called? Amen. Yet the rise of higher criticism and evolution hadn't even occurred yet. Those are sciences falsely so-called. They're religious beliefs. The one, I am smarter than God in questioning the Bible. The other, there is no God. We came from an accidental explosion. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, what is the order of events that is supposed to take place? When I give you these events, three, the second coming of Jesus Christ, a great falling away into apostasy, and the man of sin being revealed. Give me the order of those three events. A falling away. The man of sin revealed. Then the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Does Paul make it very clear not to let any man deceive you by any means about those order of events? Because he had Thessalonians that were worried that Jesus Christ could come at any time, but he told them Jesus Christ could not come at any time because there must be a great apostasy first and the man of sin must be revealed before Jesus. And yet they all want to give us this left-behind garbage about there being some rapture and then the Antichrist. No! The Antichrist comes first, and Paul stated it very clearly in 2 Thessalonians chapter. Do we know who the Antichrist is? Has he been here for a very long time? Yes. How much do we have to have in the way of fulfilled prophecy before Jesus can come? Lord Jesus, come quickly. Do you know those things? They say there's a rapture, that there's going to be all sorts of resurrections, First of all, the saved are going to get resurrected, and then seven years later, maybe some more, and then a thousand and seven years later. It's so hard to keep track of it, they've got to put it in gigantic timelines that run from one side of an auditorium to the other because they can't keep track of it, and there's no two of them that believe it alike. You know why? Because it's all up here. It isn't here. That's why we, that's why to get things in writing is such a blessing. When God puts things in writing, it's a blessing. There's only one resurrection coming. Jesus said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done evil, unto the resurrection of damnation. They that have done good, unto the resurrection of life. John 5, 28 and 29. There's one. Thank you, Lord. Is this church going to be the pillar and ground of the truth? Without knowing fulfilled prophecies, you have little for your faith and little to witness to others. Without knowing a little bit of history, and you don't have to worry about a whole lot of history. Just get a little bit of the big the big events that affected the church of God. Notice there's nothing in the Bible about two thirds of the earth. Because they didn't affect the church of God. Right. Without knowing a little history, Bible prophecies have little value for you. You know, how in the world can you appreciate Genesis sixteen twelve without knowing a little Arabian history? That's where God said they're going to be fighting all the time. And there they are in the Middle East. What, what are they supposed to be, turning on some nuclear reactor this weekend? And everybody's up in arms? Well, they've always been doing stuff like that. We ought to just make sure that every side has nuclear weapons. Thank you, Lord, for the precious Word of God. Amen. Studying prophecy can be a faith-building experience. Reading passages like Isaiah 41 through 48 should be faith-building exercises to you reading the document, Alexander the Great, or the document, The Witness of 70 A.D., or looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and seeing that order and realizing how in the world can everyone get that corrupted when Paul is so plain about it? What is going on? There's a war against the truth that's going on. And we need to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints, and that faith includes fulfilled prophecies. I hope you love the Lord Jehovah. These passages of Scripture, the whole Bible, is filled with prophecy. And the Bible concludes in chapter 19 and verse 10 of the book of Revelation that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. We have a king, a savior, the second Adam, sitting at God's right hand. He's going to take care of us in this world and the world to come. You can put your trust in him. Put your trust in him. Run to him. Believe on him. Lay hold of Him by faith. Repent of your sins and serve Him this day and tomorrow and the rest of this week until He comes for us. Let Him change our lives. Let us love Him and devote ourselves to Him. Instead of spending your time thinking upon all the miscellaneous facts of motorcycles, cars, houses, income, investment returns, basketball players, baseball statistics, Set your heart and mind to getting into the Word of God. I want to learn some of those basic points of truth that God's given to us because I want to be a pillar and I want to be a ground of the truth as part of the church of Greenville. And so I want some of those simple points that the pastor's taught us where we go to defend what the Lord's taught us. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.